Welcome to Sparrow Falls, a refuge from the storms of life. It's the final episode in our short series on Psalm 22. What began as an Israelite peace offering to praise God for deliverance from affliction becomes a worldwide posture of worship to a God who has shown himself completely righteous in all matters of his rule over this earth. And it gives us a most surprising perspective on suffering. This is episode 13. If you'd like to stay up on what's happening at Sparrow Falls, subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media. You can find out more about that on our website at sparrowfalls.org. Now here's our host, Todd Schaefer. The psalmist was delivered from his affliction at the last moment, and he goes to the temple to make a peace offering. The animal is slain, its blood thrown against the altar, its flesh roasted on the fire, and the priest serves the meat to those on the temple grounds, as the psalmist tells a story of how he faced a severe affliction and God heard his cry. God didn't turn his face from him. He delivered him. And the psalmist and all the men worship God. The congregation participating in this peace offering grows from the Israelites to all the nations of the world. The great congregation participates in a great peace offering, and everyone worships this God who delivers. We saw this congregation grow in verse 25, and it becomes even more clear in verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. The testimony of the peace offering is not that there's a God in Israel. The testimony is that there is a God in the world. What are they doing? They're remembering. Not that they forgot anything. Their remembering is recounting the testimony of God in their life. They're turning. Those who haven't turned to God are hearing the works of the Lord in the lives of these people, and they're turning to God, trusting in Him. They're worshiping. They come before God together, Jews and Gentiles, all the families of the nations. They gather together to worship Yahweh God. This is the enthronement of praise. The praise and worship of God doesn't just give God praise and worthy honor. He is placed on a throne, a throne created by the praises and worship of his people. Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Kingship belongs to him. There is no vote, no democratic or parliamentary process. The world recognizes that the Lord is king because of the testimony of how he has worked in the lives of his people. He reigns as king because he has always reigned as king. He rules over the nations because he has always ruled over the nations. There is no contest to his reign and rule. It belongs to him. And it doesn't matter who may oppose him or object to his rule. He rules, period. The kings and rulers of the world are all flawed. No one rules over all the nations in any capacity. Not one rules with the justice and righteousness that has victory over suffering or death. Not one king or ruler escapes suffering or death. All kings, all kingdoms, and all rulers come to an end. Death ends them all. Not one king or ruler owns his authority over man. All ruling power was given to the rulers by the sovereign of the universe. His authority, his kingship, his rule belongs to him and him alone. Any ruler is but a steward of the authority given to him by God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Kingship belongs to him. 
He rules over the nations, whether we knew it or not, whether we saw it or not, and whether we like it or not. God is the holy, eternal sovereign who delivers the afflicted from all afflictions. Yes, he came to deliver us from sin and death, but he also came to deliver us from affliction. Psalm 22 doesn't allow us to overlook the affliction that he delivers us from. When we consider the world and all the evil, all the horrors that we see, when we consider the world and all the evil, all the horrors that we see, we experience, we hear of, God is the one, the only sovereign ruler who can deliver us. It's good that our governments have police, judges, hospitals, emergency services, benevolence organizations, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, shelters for battered women, child protective services, human trafficking task forces, armies, and we can go on and on and on. Those are all needed to combat affliction and provide deliverance or relief for people. These efforts show the care society has for the afflicted, yet their effectiveness, even the best of them, is limited. There are afflictions that they cannot touch. There are injustices they cannot correct, and there are horrors that they cannot stop. But there is one king who can, and has, and will. His power over affliction and injustice is unsurpassed, even within this world of curse and sin and death. All the sorrows, all the afflictions, all the inequities, all the injustices, all the horrors will one day be completely eradicated. Completely. Our God does not despise the affliction of the afflicted. He doesn't turn his face from them. He hears their cries and he delivers. And I want you to see how this psalm explains this. And here we come to what is for me the most amazing part of Psalm 22. There are three categories of people who participate in this peace offering and worship of God. They are Jew and Gentile, people from all the nations of the world, from the ends of the earth. That we have seen. But now the psalmist describes them in terms of their experience with affliction. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. The prosperous of the earth are the first category. They're not defined by nation or race. They're defined by prosperity. The Hebrew is literally translated as the fat ones. These are the wealthy, the powerful, those who live in peace and comfort. They're people we consider who have it all. They may not face severe affliction. They've enjoyed the blessings of this earth. They are those that we sometimes envy and covet. We want what they have. We desire their wealth, their success, their ease in life. We also desire their lack of suffering. They are the ones who have eaten of the fat of the land. And this peace offering, they too share because no one escapes the need for deliverance, not even the prosperous. They too suffer in this world. They too need deliverance. They too will one day die. No matter their appearance of prosperity, they will rightly participate in the peace offering and worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now here's the second category in the second part of verse 29. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. The people who go down to the dust are those whose afflictions bring them near to death. But they survive. They were delivered from their affliction, or at least delivered from the death that was threatened by the affliction. These are all the people who face severe forms of affliction and suffering, and they live lives that have harrowing experiences and may have lifelong troubles. 
These are people who face disease, cancer, abuse, war, famine, poverty, natural disasters, you name it. All of these people will bow before God, the God who doesn't hide his face from affliction, who sustains and delivers. The act of bowing is a strong image of worship, and I think the psalmist uses the picture of bowing to help us come to grips with reality that these people who suffered greatly, whose lives look like God forgot them, these will stand before God, and instead of bringing accusation or questioning Him, they bow before Him in worship. And the way it hits me is that it seems that those who bow are leading the prosperous. The prosperous eat and worship, but perhaps they're not yet bowing. And the ones who bow first are the ones who experience great affliction in their lives. I can't be dogmatic about this, but that's how it appears to me. The prosperous are eating, which is something they're good at, and those who were severely afflicted are immediately on their knees in worship. And now we come to the third category of worshiper, and this is the one that impacts me the most. And it's in the third line of verse 29, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Did you expect this? even the one who could not keep himself alive. How many people do you know who suffered an affliction that took their life in an untimely and excruciating manner? How many who died of cancer, disease, who died at the hands of evil men, those who died from accidents, drug overdoses, or murder, those who died of mental illness or depression that led them to suicide, like my son? Many of these people who could not keep themselves alive are children, Many are babies abandoned by their mothers or aborted. These will participate in the peace offering of worship to God. And the psalmist knows we didn't expect this. At some level, we know abstractly that God will make all things right. But these who suffer greatly, these who had the most untimely deaths, these who could not keep themselves alive, even these cases, the ones that perplex us, the ones that we have no answers for, the ones whose lives are so much a horror that it causes us to go silent in disbelief and for many causes them to question their faith and sometimes reject God. Even these who the world points to and says, if there was a God worthy of our worship, he wouldn't let this happen. And because it did, I can't believe in the God of the Bible. Even these most horrific cases, they will bow alongside all of us to worship the God who delivers from affliction, the God who does not turn his face away from those who suffer, the God who is the King of kings, the King of the nations, even these. It's no wonder the congregation stops in their tracks and stands in awe of the God who hears the cries of the afflicted. It's no wonder that we will join with past generations to enthrone God on our praises. It's no wonder we will stand shoulder to shoulder with those who suffered the most on this cursed earth, and with them we will bow to this almighty God. Isn't this an amazing picture? One day, you and I will be in this great congregation, and we will participate in this peace offering and eat of this transcendent sacrifice and sing out in this glorious moment of worship. I can't wait for that day. Let's continue. Verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. 
They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Posterity, the coming generations that will follow, they also serve the Lord. They will trust in him because our generation will tell the next generation about this God, Yahweh, who hears the cries of the afflicted and delivers. We can't be silent. We must tell the next generation. His righteousness, God's holiness, will be proclaimed by the next generation, our children to their children, a people yet unborn. Our God is so great, we must proclaim this righteousness and have it proclaimed continually. What about his righteousness? That this righteousness is a righteousness that is just. It's a righteousness that's moral. It's a righteousness fitting his rule over this world. In spite of all the horror, all the evil, all the afflictions, all the tragedy, all the pain, all the suffering, this God's righteousness makes everything right. When all is said and done, his justice, his morality, his rule, his righteousness will not be questioned. And no one will have any doubts about it. And now notice the last line of this psalm, that he has done it. There are a number of ways that this can be translated from Hebrew, that he has done it. That he has done it is one way, but the Apostle John translates it in the Greek in a way that we're more familiar with. In John 19.30, we read, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, he has done it. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The final words of Jesus' life are the final words of Psalm 22. The greatest display of God's holiness and righteousness in a cursed world of suffering and affliction and sin is on the cross. Our greatest hope in the midst of the darkest hours of our lives in the face of horrific suffering is what Christ accomplished on the cross. The greatest testimony that Yahweh God is a God who hears our cries, is with us in our pain, who knows the affliction of the afflicted and will deliver us in a way that satisfies us and motivates us to unquestionable worship is the work of Christ on the cross. And we find the best application of this psalm in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, we read, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christ suffered the hostility of sinners, leading him to execution. He was humiliated, beaten to a pulp, ridiculed, mocked for his trust in God, and though he felt God had forsaken him, and in that moment Jesus was forsaken, God came to deliver him. Through it all, he hoped in the testimony of God's people who enthroned him on praise. This was a praise demonstrated in the peace offering, a praise among all who suffer from the prosperous to the ones who die in their suffering. 
The problem of suffering in this world will not be a problem at the end of the age. We will have full understanding at that time of God's work, and we will bow down and worship Him. We will enjoy the feast of our sacrifice to Him for the feast of His sacrifice for us. And I hope this encourages you, because it encourages me. And it has been the most helpful part of Scripture for me as I face the depression and suicide of my son. I know one day I will meet him again, and together we will share in the peace offering. And whether it's a figurative or real event, we will bow down before Yahweh in awe and worship. And that is what I long for more than anything else in my life. And I thank you, my Lord and my King, for giving me this hope. And that concludes Psalm 22. This marvelous psalm that God has given to us to encourage our hearts and to help us to understand how to put the pieces of severe affliction together when we suffer long, when we die, when we don't survive, when it feels like we're forsaken. This psalm teaches us how to understand our affliction. And it gives us a hope that will strengthen us to endure the suffering we face. I hope you've enjoyed this short series on Psalm 22. If you have, please let me know by sending me a comment on one of the Sparrow Falls social media platforms. Any feedback is welcome. Sparrow Falls is the ministry of Todd Schaefer. You can find our website at sparrowfalls.org. That's sparrowfalls.org. We hope to see you again. And though you walk in the midst of trouble, may God in His Word revive you and renew your hope. We look forward to seeing you again at Sparrow Falls.